0: Amen, friends. All right, here's what we're gonna do. Uh, go ahead and pull out your phones. Your phone. You thought I was gonna say Bible. I got you. Uh, phones. Go ahead and pull out your phone, real quick. Here's what. Everybody, uh, we're gonna do something something fun together. For those of you who have been around Flourishing Grace for a while, you know where this is going. For those of you who are new, you're like, Are they stealing my identity? No, I'm not. Pull out your phone. And you head over to Minty.com. It's menti.com. It's M E N T I.com. It'll be up there. There it is. M E N T I.com. It's going to ask you for a code. And that's the code you're going to punch in 1448 83 Bingo. All right. Um, it's going to ask you for that code. Now, here's what's going on this is a way for us to have a little conversation together. Um, and it's going to ask you some questions, and we're going to work together on this. But here's the deal. Before you do anything, you've got to be super specific. You can't, you can't go broad because we're creating a word cloud, okay? So the first question there is, what is the best Easter candy? Is this working? Are you seeing this? It's working. There it is. Now, if you go crazy broad, you say chocolate, okay, somebody put chocolate bunnies. That's good. Don't put chocolate, okay? Because chocolate's too broad, right? What kind of chocolate? Okay, Reese's eggs is dominating, all right. Um, Peeps, you're a liar, but okay, all right. Uh, It's working, all right. So again, uh, Daniel, can you actually, Daniel, can you throw it back to the last slide for people who are maybe just kind of trying to figure this out? Minty.com, M-E-N-T-I.com. There it is. So if you're still trying to figure this out, M-E-N-T-I dot com, 14, 48, 83, 43. Are you all, do we got it? Anybody struggling hard? Okay, Daniel, throw it up to that. All right, what is the best Easter candy? Oh, Reese's eggs dominates. I like it, I like it. That's way better than the last gathering. The last gathering was chocolate bunnies. And I'm like, you guys, listen, there are good chocolate bunnies. I'll give you that. But, like, you've had some bad chocolate bunnies. Like, you know you have. Like, some of them are gross, man. They're gross. I love the emojis. Oranges are, is it orange? Is that an orange emoji? That's a great Easter candy. Nope. All right, so here's the thing. I'm going to give you the next question, but you've got to be specific. Do you you see this? Because, like, Reese's eggs is winning. um, And some people put, like, Reese's pieces. But, like, Reese's eggs are super, is super uh, specific. If you said, like, peanut butter eggs, nope, doesn't work, right? It's going to throw off the whole thing, okay? So it looks like Reese's eggs, like, we've settled the debate. We can no longer argue about this. Reese's eggs wins. See, Cadbury eggs, but then there's Cadbury mini eggs, so hopefully you didn't mean that, right? Are right, we tracking? We got this? You guys are smart. You got it. All right, next question It's going to auto-populate on your phone. What is the... Gospel. Now, again, you can't give me a sentence. You can't give me a paragraph. It's got to be like one, two, three words. What is the gospel? Like, what is it? If you had to say in kind of one, two, three words, what is the gospel? Right, there you go. Some people are saying the good news and some people are saying good news. Again, okay, same thing, different ways of saying it. Um, And I'm just going to give you a hint. Like, the good news, gospel means good news, but is good news the gospel? Right? Think about it. Like, is good news the gospel? No, right? It's good news if I get a bunch of Reese's eggs for Easter, but that's not the gospel, okay? Gospel means good news. That's like a cheat answer, okay? It's like, I don't know what to say, so I'm just gonna tell you what gospel means. You've been a church too long. All right, let's keep them coming, keep them coming. What's the gospel? What's the gospel? I'll give you guys an extra minute. Got 39, 40 responses so far, 41. Come on, friends. Okay. Okay. Give you one more second to think about it. What is the gospel? Very good. All right, here's the next question, the last question. Last question, okay. Before I give you the last question, here it is. Junior high geometry, Okay line, line segment, and array, just so we're clear, okay? I'm going to ask you a question that involves this. Okay, a line, right, is infinite in both directions. It goes on forever that way and goes forever this way. A line segment has a beginning and an end, right? And then an array has a beginning but no end, right? And so here's the question. Is Jesus' reign as king best described as a line, meaning he's always been king. If you're on my staff team, you don't get to answer this, by the way. Uh, is he's always been king, and he's always going to be king. Is it a line segment, like it has a clear beginning and a clear end, or is it a ray? Jesus became king, it has a beginning, but it never ends. He'll always, 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 always be king, okay? All right, there we go. Very good. Ooh, it's a, it's a race between ray and line. Ray and line, who's going to win? I don't know. Okay, so for some of you who've been around flourishing grace, you say these questions seem familiar. I've been asked this before. You were asked these same three questions last Sunday, last year on Palm Sunday, and every year on Palm Sunday, I'm going to ask you the same three questions. Okay, and here's why: because until somebody puts Cadbury mini eggs as the, as, the, as the best Easter candy, okay? All right? I'm just going to keep asking you until you realize, until you, until you are awakened to the truth that Cadbury mini eggs are the best Easter candy. I mean, Reese's eggs are close number two. They're good, man. Uh, but here it is. Because I believe that this Sunday, Palm Sunday, is all about what the gospel actually is. What the gospel actually is. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to throw us back to this question. And these will come in. All right, so what is the gospel? Now, I know a lot of people put good news because that's like our default, right? We've been told, like, gospel means good news. It means, it's like, listen, but but as I said before, like, good news is not the gospel. The gospel is good news. I'm not saying it's not good news. It is the best news ever. But good news is not the gospel, right? Gospel means good news. The word means good news, but like it's just too broad, it's too generic. Next, what looks like uh, maybe the next biggest one, the next most popular, is God's word, which again is another really safe church answer, right? It's like the Bible. Uh, okay, okay, fine. Uh, God's word, yes, because the gospel communicates God's word, right? And and God's word contains the gospel, and so like it's like super broad, but I'm not saying specifically what is. The gospel, the story of Jesus. Yeah, of course, of course, Jesus. But again, that's another. It's another pretty safe answer. What about the story of Jesus? Like, what exactly is it? Here's what I want to do. My first boss in ministry, his name is Tim, and Tim took me through this exercise a, a while back, a long time ago. He said all of these things that we see can be confined into one of three categories. Okay. Number one, right, it's the actual gospel. This is the thing. This is the good news. This is what happened, the gospel. Then you have things that had to happen in order for the gospel to be the gospel, okay? And then you have implications, things that we get, things that we receive because of the gospel, okay? Are you tracking with me? So number one is the gospel. That's what it actually is. Number two is all the things that had to happen in order for the gospel to be the gospel. And then number three are all the things that um, happen as a result of the gospel, the things that we get, the things that we receive. So, um, let's see. Uh, okay, we've got the, the resurrection of Christ. Jesus is risen. So you have the death and resurrection of Jesus. Is the death and resurrection of Jesus, is it the gospel? Is it what had to happen in order for the gospel to be the gospel? Or is it what we get and what we receive as a result? Which one is it? One, two, or three? Wait, what? Two. It's two. Yeah. It's what had to happen in order for the gospel to be. Okay? Now, look. uh, Salvation. Salvation is one. Salvation. Salvation of Jesus. Right? Right? Is salvation, our salvation, redemption, restoration, are those things the gospel? Is it what had to happen in order for the gospel to be the gospel? Or is it what we receive, what we get because of the gospel? One, two, or three? Three. Man, you guys are smart. You guys get this, okay? So here we are, right? all of the things that we've put up here right, are either two or three, but what is one? I'm trying to see if anybody, I don't see it. I don't see it. heres I'm just going to give it to you right out of the gate this morning, okay? Um, The gospel, and the reason why Palm Sunday points us to exactly what the gospel is, is this. Jesus became king. Jesus became king. And I preached the same sermon last Palm Sunday and the Palm Sunday before that. And next year on Palm Sunday, I'm going to preach the same sermon. Next year after that, I'm going to preach the same sermon until God says, "You can't preach any more sermons, I'm going to keep preaching the same sermon every single year, until the biggest thing in the middle is Jesus became king. Because that that's the center of everything. Everything that ha- had to happen had to happen so that Jesus could become king. And everything that happens as a result is a result of him being king. Now is the kingdom of Jesus best described as a line? Has he always been king and always will be king? Or is it best described as a line segment, he became king and he was not going to be king forever? Or is it a ray, he becomes king, but then he's never going to stop being king? And this, I mean, look at this, it's a deadlock. Line array, line array. I'm going to argue this morning. It's a segment. That Jesus became king, he's not always going to be king. I'm going to show you that Scripture is really, really clear on all of this. That's my goal and my hope for this morning. And so let's dive into our text. For those of you uh, who got your Bibles, go ahead and pull them out. There's blue ones underneath. to see you're sitting in. And we're going to go, of course, to one of the two Palm Sunday texts. We're going to go in Mark because that's where we've been for the past, I don't know, six months. Um, Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. The gospel is this. Jesus became King. The good news is that Jesus became king. He will not always be king, but he became king. And Palm Sunday exists. It exists in the church calendar to point us to this idea that Jesus was inaugurated, that he, that he was crowned, that he had a triumphal entry. Jesus became king. And this is Gospel Sunday. It's Jesus' is King Sunday. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. That's what we're going to look at together in Mark uh, 11. 1 through 11. I'll read it for us. Let's follow along. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, Jesus and his disciples, to Bethpage in Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus. And they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed after were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. All right, this is the word of the Lord. This text, for us in our culture today, for us in the West, right, and for us in kind of a modern society outside of first century Israel, like, it's weird, right and many of you grew up in church and you've heard this text preached every single year on the same day and you're just like it just kind of it's kind of like you just kind of glazed over you hear it and you're like oh yeah of course i know that but some of you hopefully for the first time are hearing this like you're new to church and you're like oh my goodness that is strange and i love that because it is strange jesus just sent his disciples to steal somebody's donkey Right? In Matthew's account, like Mark's account here says, don't worry, we're going to return it. But Matthew's account doesn't even say that. There's like, just go take the donkey, right? It's like so strange. Like, just stole a donkey. And then you have Jesus riding, and all these people are screaming, Hosanna, and throwing branches and coats in the road. It's like, what is taking place? What is going on here? All of this, every ounce of this story is meant to open our, eye, our minds and our eyes to the fact that Jesus is becoming king. He's becoming king. Every element, every part of the story is Jesus becoming king. The reason why Jesus goes, and he, or his disciples go, he sends his disciples to go and take this donkey, this colt, this young donkey, is to fulfill a messianic prophecy of the coming king. In Zechariah 9.9, Zechariah prophesies, and he says this. It'll be up here on the screen for you. He says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is what? Coming. Jesus is becoming king. He's coming to you. He's a righteous king. Having salvation, he's a saving king. He's humble. He's a humble king. He's mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Jesus has been telling his disciples, and we've been preaching it over the past few weeks, right, kind of leading to this moment. He says, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem. And now here they are on the outskirts of the city. And he says, okay, fellas, go into into the town. Get me a donkey. Bring it back. Because it's time. It's time. It's time for me to declare that I am becoming king. And the crowd, the people who are with him, the crowd, they understand this. They grasp exactly what's taking place. They know exactly why Jesus is riding in on a donkey. They know exactly what he's communicating through this act. The crowd goes nuts. Many have spread their cloaks. This is verse eight. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches. That they had cut from the fields, and those who went before, and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is you who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom, the coming kingdom of our Father David Hosanna in the highest, right? They're, they're throwing their coats in the road so that the hooves of the donkey won't get dirty. Well, who would you do that for? Like who would you take your clothes off for? Not okay, that came out wrong. That's going to haunt me for years. Uh, who would you take your coat off for, your outer garments, uh, for, and lay them in, in the dirt so that they're, they're, the animal they're riding wouldn't get his feet dirty? Who would you do that for? A king. A king, okay. Not just any king, though. Like if the king of Morocco came to Bountiful, which is unlikely, but if he did... And he's walking down the street, I'm not going to take my coat off and throw it on the ground and let him walk on it. I just wouldn't. I mean, I don't mean to just be disrespectful to the king of Morocco, but I just wouldn't wouldn't do that. It's got to be the king. Like, the king. The king that's been promised to you since you were a little girl and a little boy. The king that was promised to your parents and your grandparents and your great-great-grandparents. The king that has been promised to your people. The king that you've been waiting for. The king that you know is going to restore all Things. This is the king of all kings. The people understand this. They grasp this. They're chanting and they're screaming. Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is the blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father David. Hosanna in the highest, right? Hosanna literally means save us. Please save. Please rescue i'm begging you to rescue you're drowning in the lake hosanna like i need help like now please save me hosanna to the king of david who's david who was david come on church who is david The king the king the greatest king in the history of israel right and they know Jesus is coming from his line, that the, he is coming to restore this great kingdom, that they will once again, they will conquer, they will rule, they will reign. Hosanna, please save. They understand this. And so what's, what's happening here, here's what's being declared by the actions of Jesus and what's being understood and then redeclared by the actions of the crowd, right, is this. The God of all things has sent Jesus To take his seat on the throne as the Savior King of the world and of the cosmos. Jesus is declaring this by his actions. The the crowd is understanding this and then redeclaring it by their actions. They grasp this idea. He comes in the name of the Lord. God has sent him. This is not just another king or an average king or a, a king that will reign for a little bit and then be done. No, no. This is the King of Kings. The king to end all kings. The gospel, the good news, is that Jesus became king. A savior king. But here's the second thing I want you to see this morning. Is that Jesus has not always been king. Right? Which makes sense. If he became king, he wasn't king before he became king. Jesus has not always been king. God is. Yes, he's always, always, always been God, right? In John 1, 1, right, John says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word is Jesus, right? In the beginning was Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He's always eternally existed. He's eternally existed. He's fully God, completely. He is uncreated, right? He is God, always has been, always will be. But he has not always been king. Has he always been all-powerful? Yes. All-sovereign? Yes. Almighty? Yes. But king? No. I know that for so many of us, this this messes with our minds, and it messes with what we were taught with as we grew up and as we went to church. But I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in a lot of different places this morning. First is in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, uh, Daniel receives this vision Of this coming king, of this kind of heavenly realm. And the the heavens are opened up to Daniel. It's this trippy, crazy thing. And this is what he sees in Daniel 7, starting verse 9. I looked and thrones were placed. Did they exist before that? No, they're placed. Thrones are placed. In the ancient of days, God the Father took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was... Fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire ensued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousand served him. Right? So a thousand times a thousand. A million. There's a million angelic beings just serving him. Like wrap your, try to wrap your mind around that. And when it hurts, you can stop. Because it's impossible. You can't. A million angelic beings are just serving him. As it says, you know, nuts! It's amazing, and then it goes on. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. A hundred million. I know. I had to do the math earlier. Okay, I went to seminary. Ten thousand times ten thousand. A hundred million. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. Right. The judge takes his seat on the seat of judgment, and he opens the books, ready to judge. And then we see this picture in verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Have you heard that before? Son of man? Yes? Okay, yeah, where have we heard that? Every week in the Gospel of Mark, okay? This is what Jesus calls himself on repeat again and again and again and again last Sunday. Right? Last Sunday, uh, we preached this text. The son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The son of man. That's how Jesus refers to himself. Right? Which, again, is weird if you think about it. Because guess what I am? Son of man. Yeah. Right? And you are a son of man. Right? Well, or a daughter of man. Right? That's who you are. And that makes sense. Like, it's like, oh, why is he calling himself that? Here's why. Because for him, it's not normal. For me and you, it's normal. For him, no, because he's fully God in the flesh. That's what he's declaring when he says that again and again and again. He's pointing his hearers back to Old Testament texts just like this one in Daniel. He's saying, You know who the Son of Man is the one who looks like a man but is not a man, the Son of Man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given given. Dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. It was given to him. Given to him. Jesus says famously in Matthew 28, the very beginning of the Great Commission begins this way. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been what? Come on, church. Given to me, right? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. I've been given this kingdom. I have become king. He's always been God, but he's not always been king. So who is on the throne? Who sat in that place? I'm going to make the case this morning... That the throne was usurped, not by power, not by might, not by superiority, but by the manipulation of you and me. The kingdom itself was brought low and destroyed, and therefore the throne was taken away. Paul grasps this idea. He talks about it in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, he says this. He says, in you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Before Jesus becomes king, there's an evil and tyrannical prince. Not a king, not the one who's actually in control, not the one who actually has authority, not the one who actually has power, but one who has usurped, usurped the power and the authority and the control who sits on the throne. Satan fools us into, into committing treason and brings the kingdom to a place of destruction by destroying you and me and our allegiance to the one true king. C.S. Lewis, the great, um, amazing Christian, captures this idea unbelievably perfectly in the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically in the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right? It's the story. Lewis Grasp this that Jesus has not always been king, not always will be king. He understands this, he grasps this, and he writes this into a children's book in children's form so that our kids would not grow up uh, n- not misunderstanding the gospel. He says, don't you know that you realize when, when Edmund and Susan and Lucy, these kids, when they first come into this magical land of Narnia, right? They meet the beavers, and the beavers are talking to them, and they're saying, Yeah, yeah, there's a time when, when, there, was, when there was a great king, and the great king ruled. Aslan was the king, right? But who has usurped the throne? The witch, the white witch, right? Not a queen not somebody who actually has power or authority or control, not somebody who actually has it, but a white witch has usurped the throne. And under her rule and under her reign it is always winter, but never what? Christmas. It's always winter, but never Christmas. It's this picture of a broken and fallen kingdom that has been twisted and deformed and usurped, where she holds control but not actual authority. And the beavers also know that one day, one day the true king is gonna come back and he will conquer and he will restore and will be king again. C.S. Lewis understands this, he grasps this idea that the gospel is all about a kingdom, the gospel is all about a king, and that is the center of the gospel we must grasp this idea. John, 1 John 5:19, John says this. He says, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Satan, this deplorable, crooked little prince, has fooled you and me into committing treason against the king, and therefore he owns the kingdom. That's how he usurped it. He didn't beat God. He just beat you. He beat me. Last thing I want you to see this is this. Jesus goes to the cross and raises from the dead to become king. Earlier we said that those things fall in category number two, right? That those things had to happen in order for the gospel to be. And I want to make the case this morning those things had to happen in order for Jesus to become king. In Philippians 2, Paul captures this idea. He says this. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. All of those things had to happen. Jesus, fully God, steps into time, becomes a man, puts on flesh, becomes obedient, he becomes a servant, even obedient all the way to the point of death, death on a cross. Therefore, because of all that, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, why all of that? Why does Jesus leave heaven, step into time, put on flesh, dwell among us, go to the cross, bleed the ground red, raise from the dead, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ, Christos, the Messiah, is Lord, the King, to the glory of the Father. All of it so that he could become the King of all kings. The cross is the cure. It's how Jesus establishes the kingdom. He does this by dying. He establishes His kingdom by dying. Romans 14, 9, 4, to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and of the living. In order to become king, he dies. And here's the thing, because the kingdom was usurped by fooling you and me into committing treason, you and I had to be paid for in order to rebuild the kingdom. That treasonous act had to be paid for. Either you pay it with your life or he pays it with his. And so in order to restore the kingdom, Jesus marches in and declares, I'm becoming king. He is crowned on the cross. Good Friday. What's the inscription above the cross? Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. He becomes king, crowned with the crown of thorns, raises from the dead as the victor, as the one who has purchased back the kingdom from the curse of sin. Covered it all. He had to become king in order to become in order to restore the kingdom. And you and I are a part of that restoration. Acts 2, 30, 36 says this, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made, has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you Crucified. Friends, this is the good news that Jesus became the Savior King, King of all. He purchased his kingdom and his subjects back from the ruin of sin by submitting to death, death on a cross, sin bearing and wrath drinking crucifixion. Palm Sunday is Jesus' declaration of becoming king. The cross is his crowning, and the resurrection is the inauguration, the beginning of his rule. Jesus became the Savior King. And all the implications of the gospel flow out of this. In becoming king, Jesus has dethroned a wretched and miserable prince. We are born into what the Bible calls the dominion of darkness. But that dominion was broken by his sacrificial blood. In becoming king, Jesus breaks the dominion of darkness... Anyone at any time now can turn to the king, can, 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 can bow their knee and, can, and profess their allegiance to the king. And all of a sudden they are pulled from the dominion of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his marvelous light. The kingdom of the sun. Not because you did anything right, but because Jesus has done all of it for you. The king lovingly reshapes us and reforms us into his perfect image. The king lovingly sends his spirit to help us in this journey. The king will return one day and call us home. This is what we see in that chronicle of Narnia in, in The line the Witch, in the Wardrobe. One day, one day, Aslan's coming back. And the one who seems to have all the power will in an instant in a moment realize that they never really had any power at all. Once the kingdom is restored... All their power is gone. And that king will crush, will crush the wicked one and everything else in his way in order to rescue you and me. He's coming back. So here's the rub. Here's why this is so important. This is so important for you to understand. For many of us in this room, maybe all of us, and according to what I asked earlier, probably all of us, grew up in church, And we were told our whole lives that the gospel is the good news of your salvation. That the gospel is what saves you. The gospel is about Jesus becoming your personal Lord and Savior. The gospel is about you having a relationship with Jesus. And all of those things, listen to me, all of those things are a part of the gospel. Don't mishear me. They're valuable things. They're good things. But if that's all it is, listen to me, it's all about you. And if that's all you understand, then you've missed it all. The gospel is about the king. The gospel is about the restoring of the kingdom. And you play a very, very small part in this unbelievably massive and unbelievably beautiful story. Tonight in this room, uh, we're going to have a Seder dinner. It's already sold out. I'm sorry for those of you who are like, "Man, that sounds fun. Uh, it's already, man, we packed this place out tonight. But tonight, for many of us, we're going to sit here and we're going to realize through this unbelievably significant meal, That there's a grander, much grander story of a broken kingdom and a promised king. And we play one small part in that story. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus becoming our savior king. And those who understand this, those who understand that Jesus became king, and they live their lives to that end, they love their neighbors better. They give their life to proclaiming his glory and their obedience to him and him alone. They surrender their lives and give their lives to missions and evangelisms and kingdom-advancing initiatives. We must understand that Jesus became king. And if we don't, listen to me, if we don't understand that this is the center of it all, by the end of the week, we'll be the same people screaming, crucify him. Because the kingdom's not about you. It's about him. He is king of all. Okay? Last thing. We're out of time, but I told you I'd answer this. So, is the kingdom a line, a line segment, or a ray? Well, it cannot be a line if Jesus became king. So it must be a segment or a ray. And I said already that I think it's a segment. That Jesus has not always been king. He became king. And one day he will no longer be king. And and this is the reality. Uh, I think that this is true. That one day Jesus is going to hand over the kingdom. At the end of the Revolutionary War, uh, we dominated. Yeah. Uh, George Washington, right, won the Revolutionary War. He led America through the Revolutionary War. And at the end, everybody in America thought George Washington, George Washington is going to be the next king of our, of our nation, of our country, right? He's going to take the place as king. Why did they think that? Yes. Not just Britain, though. Every civilization ever. Like, that's just the story of humanity. Man, when you lead your people and you dominate, guess what you become? King, right? Emperor, king, ruler, uh, czar, whatever you want to call it, dictator of all, right? That's who you become. That's your right. And so everyone in America is like, heck yeah, we like George Washington. He can be king. And George Washington goes to Congress and he says, now I'm going home to Mount Vernon. The authority and the power belongs to the people. You decide what you want to do with it. Word of this spread back to King George. There was an American artist named Benjamin West. Benjamin West goes and he tells King George, do you know what George Washington is doing? He is handing the authority and the power back to the people. And King George's response to Benjamin West was this. If he does that, if he does it, he will be the greatest man in the world. And I want to make the case this morning. That's exactly what Jesus did. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24, and there's other texts. In Acts 2, we see this in other places. First 1 Corinthians 15, 24, Paul's writing about the second coming of Christ, the end of all things. He says this, Then comes the end, the end of all things. When he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until, until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus leaves the glory and the comfort and the beauty of heaven. A million angelic beings are just serving the throne. He leaves it to take on flesh and weakness and poverty and brokenness, to identify with the most lowly of the lowly. And then he goes to the cross. And endures the shame and the full wrath of God that was due to you and all of your punishment. Everything that was for you. He takes it all in order to become king of all. So that he could restore this kingdom that God had created through him and for him. This whole kingdom. Thing is rebuilt and he is right now eradicating sin. He is breaking it down by the power of the Holy Spirit through his church. He is pushing back the powers of darkness. And one day he is going to return and in an instant, in a moment, it's all going to be made right. Satan will be crushed and destroyed and everything evil in 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 his path will be utterly obliterated. And there will be no more tears and there will be no more weeping and there will be no more crying. And he will reign as king in that moment, king of all. The kingdom will be restored. New heavens, new earth, everything right. When Aslan returns, all will be made right. When Jesus returns, everything will be set right. And after he does all the work, he takes the kingdom and he hands it over to his Father because he delights in his Father and he loves his Father and it's all for the Father's glory and the Father delights in the Son and he wants to be for the glory of the Son. It's this perfect picture of absolute, complete submission and delight and joy in that submission. It's the picture of how you and I are to be towards him. To realize that this is His kingdom. That we get to be a part of it. By His blood, not by my merit. And that all of my days and all of your days would be in complete submission and service to the King of kings. That's the greatest delight. And that's the greatest joy of the human heart. To be able to every day say, in all of the things that I worked for today, all the things that I strived in under my own power, it's yours. Because you're sovereign over all, and I'm sovereign over none. And so, my hope is, my prayer this morning is this that you wouldn't miss this. That if you grew up believing that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and that's the end of the gospel, he, he does. He does love you, and he does have a wonderful plan for your life. But that's not the gospel. It's just a small part of it. The plan is that he would become king and that you would serve him with full submission, full joy for the rest of your days. That's the plan. If you miss it, you're going to miss all of it. The call of Christ on your life is a costly call. The call to release your grasp on all the things of this world, to lay it all before him, To say, wherever you go, I go. Wherever you call me, that's where you you send me. That's where I'm going to go. My life is yours. It's not mine. You're sovereign over all, and I'm sovereign over none. You're king of everything, and I'm king of nothing. It's a call on your life. That you would live every day in the service of the king. With full submission and full joy. Let's pray to that end. I pray for you guys. Let's bow our heads. Maybe right now in this minute, we just need to stop, because there's a there's a place in our life that we believe that we need to be in control. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus is King, but this this thing right here, this one, this one, that's mine. I gotta I gotta control that. I gotta control my kids. I gotta control my marriage. I gotta control my career. Gotta control my finances. Got to control my future spouse, my future retirement. Here's the lie that you're missing. Every time we commit treason against the king and try to buck his authority, we're just surrendering to the prince of the power of the air, and we're declaring that Satan, the white witch is in control We're giving him control so jesus would you would you identify that area in my life would you expose it would you would you show me would you would you point it out would you would you make it right there for everybody to see i don't i don't want it anymore I don't want Satan to have a control over one inch of my life or my existence. So would you show us, would you awaken us, and would you help us to release our grasp on that thing? Would you help us to bend our knee every day, to work tirelessly for your kingdom, and every day hand it over to you. And every time we're tempted to believe that this is in some way should perform all about me, would you call us back to the gospel that you became Praise things in your sweet name. Amen. Amen, friends. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's declare that in this place as we sing one last song together as we go.